the coolest thing about Secret Rooms that I think is that not only are they part of a cult, but they can make lime flavor taste good. Like, I happily drank that lime-flavored Seagram's. The the White Claw lime tasted it's, like it's piss. It's horrible, yeah. It's awful. God-awful. Seagram's actually tastes, like, good. Way to go for them. I know. It's probably lime, all the Lime money. and sex trafficking. It's probably all the sex trafficking Love that, that makes lime taste good. What a business. Well, the secret <laughs> it's the sex trafficking that does it. Well, the yeah. secret the ingredient... sex trafficking for me. <laughs> I was going to say, the secret ingredient is crime in this scenario. That's, That's why true. it tastes so good. Just to clarify, are we the young go-getters or the dumbass hosts? Or the dumbass hosts. <laughs> no, actually, the Pauline and uh, the other people, they're going to tell stories about us. We're of flipping course. it. Of course. They're the young hosts. We're the go-getters. spiritual guide sean barber i'm joined as always by a resident expert in death miss nicole jewett hello and the man who knows nothing mr ethan black what's up now this week we're talking about child murderers as in young people that kill not people who kill young kids except for one of them who is a kid who kills other young kids a so child child a murderer. child child murderer oh yeah interessante we've got the strangler mary bell the wielding David Brom and the dynamic duo Pauline Parker and Julia Hume. Do you want to take a guess on which one of those is the child child murderer? I feel like Paul has got a very child no, murdering no, name. No, no, it's not. It's no. not even Paul. It's Pauline. I thought one of their names was Paul. No, no. there's Mary Bell, Bell. David Brom. Brom. And Pauline and Juliet. Brom and Paul for some reason got... What? <laughs> well, so it was... You confuse Brom and Paul, but Pauline and Paul didn't have any any link. No issues. Well, where it came was that it's David Brom and then immediately following was Paul. And my brain just heard Paul after Brom, so it dropped the een. And see, that's your inner misogyny, which honestly you should be embarrassed about. Yeah. So, nah. Sorry, you can edit this out. You are everything that's wrong with America. That's incorrect. No, no, it's not. Not saying that I'm not part of what's wrong in America, but I'm not everything that's wrong in America. <laughs> Mitch McConnell that's is the other enough. part of it. I'm not tax fraud. I'm not poverty. Nothing. But you do choose to continue to support Seagram's, which is... Well, something Seagram's you is... know damn well yeah. support sex Way trafficking. Way to go, Ethan. Well, listen, if it's on a shelf... Might as well buy it. <laughs> you have to vote with your dollar. Tell these corporations what you want. Seagrams all day. <laughs> <laughs> he is voting. More He's just voting wrong. <laughs> <laughs> After listening, go check us out on Instagram at Rule of Three 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 and on Facebook at the Rule of Three Podcast. We've got three young go-getters, three dumbass hosts, and no fucking clue what we're doing. This it's Rule of Three. Mary Bell was born on May 26, 1957, in Newcastle, England, to 17-year-old Betty McCricket, which I just love. <laughs> which Betty is McCricket. even better, though, is that teams wanted to autocorrect that to McCracken. <laughs> <laughs> Betty McCracken. <laughs> oh, I don't like when you say it like that. I love hearing names from these stories because it sounds like a random name generator. Yeah. It sounds like McCricket. someone just presses, like, uh... Yeah, fucking McCricket, good enough. Like, okay, cool, moving on. I also love that last names like tend to have a kind of story behind them. And so I just want to know what Betty's family did to be called the McCrickets. Yeah. What, what did you do? Maybe they made like... They probably were cricket, cricket. farmers. Maybe. I was thinking cricket like the game. 
Oh, well, I don't know. Yeah, or like maybe. the the cricket machines, you know? Yeah, yeah. What? For crafting. Those like laser cutting machines that like Those are called cricket machines? Yeah. Oh, I, I, I don't that. think that's what it what it was. Probably I not. I don't think lasers were back then. No, they no. were not. Yeah. Betty was a single prostitute that wasn't doing so hot on her own, and no. probably the last name McCracken wasn't helping her pull in. McCracken would have been even worse, though, to be honest. Yeah, true. <laughs> would you want to buy someone named McCracken? No. Well, I think then she could go by Mistress McCracken. I think. Oh wow! Yeah, that has some I power right? behind that it. That coochie's dangerous. McCracken. Yeah, I'm saying she just—it's all about branding. You gotta mm. brand your coochie. Even if it's not something that you really like fully support wholeheartedly, like you've got to have a thing. Oh, exactly. Yeah, yeah, she opens it up and tentacles just flop out. Oh, no. But <laughs> just the thing like... is, is that there are plenty of people out there who would be very enthralled by oh, that. Oh, yeah. She would have some loyal clients. Holy Hell, yeah. Shit. That's so, so upsetting. Newcastle was an area that was known for crime, poverty, and prostitution in this time. As and it goes. Nobody would bat an eye if a prostitute was killed or if, like, a child was starving on the streets. Why would you? I mean, the city people. was in transition between heavy industrialization and the modern city that we know today. And during this time, crime was booming with very few repercussions. You, you, you. Mary's father was a career criminal named Billy Bell, and he was very rarely around and played nearly no part in her life. So lucky for Mary, she kind of narrowly avoided the whole Mary McCricket situation. <laughs> yeah, Mary Bell is pretty pretty clean. Yeah. I think she's really into Drake. To it. Mary Bell. Maybe. What's up? I think she's part of the... Do you think that's where Drake Bell comes from? Like, he's part of this family? You think that Mary gave birth to Drake? No, no, no. I said the family like, line. Well, maybe. Like, I, yeah. I doubt it, but... No, I mean, maybe. Drake McCricket? No, that, that doesn't <laughs> sound right at all. Yeah, that'd be gross. Mary spent little time with her mother as well, as Betty would often leave their rundown house in Newcastle for days on end to go and work in Glasgow, leaving her daughter with other family members or random friends. There's one story that she just left Mary with some random girl that was outside of an abortion clinic and was like, here you go, and left. <laughs> which, <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> if he's already the at fuck? the abortion center, read the room. She doesn't want a daughter. Yeah, she doesn't want to be dumped with your kid. <laughs> McCricket, I think it's a little too late to get rid of Mary. I think she's a little too old <laughs> That's now. That's not what the abortion clinic is for. You're looking for the adoption facility. <laughs> You're looking for Seagram's. That's down the road. Don't take all your children. When Betty was around, though, Mary's life didn't get any better. Throughout her childhood, Betty repeatedly tried to murder Mary and made it look like an accident. <laughs> she would do things like throw Mary out of windows. She would give her sleeping pills like they were fucking candy, and she would choke her to the brink of death. All right, that's not funny. Not funny at all. But it's funny, though. It's... These this it only gets funnier because it's like oh yeah you know oh the cricket that's pretty good yeah okay they're hanging around Glasgow what the fuck is Glasgow that's a stupid town <laughs> and then all of a sudden she's chucking people out windows that's hilarious I hate to say it <laughs> but like in comedy you think stupid things like chucking out windows like that's just funny yeah like if you want something to be funny you throw it out a window you'll you'll see in a minute window chucking runs in the McCricket bloodline apparently too oh, cuz that Mary... was one of Mary's favorites too oh is she the oh, old geez. strangle and window one? oh yeah yeah oh, yeah did she, she position their bodies outside the windows like trophies uh no no it it wasn't that i think i'd be really good at coming up with propaganda for serial killers. Yeah. Like their techniques. I think I could really help I was their gonna say popularity. maybe a crime writer. Like You would be good at writing villains for a video game. Yeah. Ah, I love villains. Yeah, you'd be great at that. Love Especially villains. like the really like dark, twisted, fucked up psychological yeah, like some of the Batman ones. Comics like, and stuff. Some of those get dark. Oh no, at one point I think the Joker like 
sews his face on, cuts his face off, and yeah, there's something some with his face. Up stuff it's like there. a skin face, <laughs> face yeah. skin, something like that. But yeah, back to <laughs> Belle. On one of her falls out of the window, Mary suffered severe damage to her prefrontal cortex, which is the region of the brain that's largely responsible for decision making. And that's not a great thing to have happen to you when you're a young yeah. child. And this was going to haunt her for the Mary rest of her life. Mary starts making some very questionable decisions. Also, I don't like the way you said fall. You know damn well she was shoved out that bitch. You cannot say, yep, Mary just tripped. Whoops, banana peel. No, nope, she daisies. yucked out that way. When window. Mary was as young as five years old, her mother also allowed her male clients to engage in sexual activities with her daughter. That's unfortunate. So, in short, Mary had a terrible childhood full of violence and abuse that damaged her beyond repair. So, when you think about this, it's really really hard to think oh wow she's a horrible person like she was just extremely disadvantaged and like yeah. horribly abused and which yes she like, was fucked up but we, yeah for good we don't reason. say these things to justify murder no, because there's yeah. nothing that can justify murder we more say it as don't throw your kids out windows yeah you know it's no wonder she has issues yeah, yeah exactly and if your child is showing signs of one murderous tendencies get him some help you know yeah. honestly, that's on, all right on the bright side though like in hindsight these killers are probably like the 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 luckiest in this case because like the younger they are unfortunately the more you chance know, they have to get help in because yeah like we that's see true. all people yeah. who keep all that shit internal like all that trauma internally and then one day they snap like when they're older and like they know things which arguably are worse than when you're a kid and you're still figuring things out. Yeah, most of the, all of these stories kind of take place in the middle 1900s, and we're going to see that as a reoccurring theme, that all of them showed signs of having mental illness, but nobody ever talked about it. They hardly nobody ever tried went to, to a doctor. Them. And it until was basically it was too late. just suck it up. Yeah, depression didn't exist until like the 2000s at least. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No and, one cared about it. Yeah. And so all of their problems were just stuffed down and, well, you'll be fine. Deal with yeah. it later. That kind of thing. Become a shoemaker. That'll fix everything. <laughs> a peddler. <laughs> when she entered school, everyone immediately could tell that something was very wrong with Mary. She was very hostile towards other kids at school. And there were multiple times when teachers had to literally pry Mary off of other kids as she was choking them. And there are stories of her putting out lit cigarettes on other kids. I just want to know where she got those from. Like, I know this was a different time, but who sees a kid with, like, cigarettes and is like, yeah, that's fine and normal. As like, long as you don't put them out on somebody. Exactly. As long <laughs> as you're keeping them the to line. yourself. Well, you can get lung yeah. cancer, but you can't burn your peers. Practice yeah. does make perfect. That's true. Apart from being violent, Mary was also a compulsive liar and was well known for raising hell wherever she went. She was just a complete troublemaker. Mm. Despite her violent tendencies, Mary's teachers actually described her as a very bright girl. And if she would just stop causing trouble, she certainly would have a very bright future ahead of her. Put that bitch in a straitjacket. Fix her up. <laughs> Easy. But obviously there were a lot of problems with her. Specifically, multiple teachers noted her lack of feelings towards other people. Mary didn't really seem to recognize that other people had emotions and feelings, and she would treat them like objects. Not surprisingly, Mary wasn't all too popular at school, Aww. but she did have one loyal friend that always popped up with her. Uh oh. Mary's best friend was a girl a few years older than her named Norma, who was mentally disabled and was easily strung along by the charismatic Mary. Violence and injuries seemed to just follow these two around wherever they went. They always seemed to be around the scene when somebody got hurt, or they would just know a suspicious amount of information. 
One day at school, Norma held a young girl down while Mary poured sand in her mouth, attempting to suffocate her to death. How horrible must that be? Like, how do you get sand? Like, where do you collect sand from? I feel like they're, they're like probably out like the playground. Yeah. Just keep it in a bag and then you pour it in someone's mouth. That's psychotic. That's terrifying. <laughs> Imagine like being suffocated by sand. By two people, like, nonetheless. That sounds horrible. One person suffocating you, Sam. That is Anakin's absolute worst nightmare. <laughs> two people trying to kill you, like sand. <laughs> like, that's the worst, dude. What if they started eating that shit? Like, they just pour it in, Like, would they freak out? <laughs> he got a gobble on it. Would they pour you more? You have to be crazier than the crazy people trying to kill exactly. you. That's the only way to win. Because serial killers and psychopaths like being in power. So if you show them that they're not in power, because you can eat sand just as well as they can <laughs> shove it down your throat, you'll be safe. I love that. On May 11th, 1968, Mary pushed one of her cousins off a small ledge near a local pub, and he was found with blood pouring from his head. Again, pushing people off of shit. The cricket special right there. I mean, you gotta. <laughs> she, she knows how to keep the family business yeah, going. Yeah, learn from the best, baby. Mary and Norma were initially hailed as heroes for finding and saving him, but this was before anyone knew what Mary was really doing there. One of the most chilling incidents happened at a daycare where Mary choked three girls until they went purple and she wondered aloud, what happens if you choke someone? Do they die? Which... Uh, this kid is like what nightmares are made of. Yeah. Like, can I, you imagine? I love, I love, love, love how she said that question and then probably just went home. Everyone was like, oh, oh yeah. you nutcase Mary, get the hell out of here. It's like, <laughs> crazy Mary. What she, do you mean? Head on home. She was known for saying weird things like that, too. She would just say random shit about hurting or killing people and people go, ah, Mary. See, that's, I feel like that you shouldn't creepy be. creepy little bitch. That <laughs> shouldn't be classified as something weird. That and, should be like red flag, ding, ding, ding. Somebody handcuffs. I just imagine her walking around like a little porcelain doll almost as like choking people and yeah. like walking away. Uh, it just. She's just the Ugh. perfect, like, horror movie child. It is, yes. Chucky. Yeah, no, Mary. exactly. Literally, this is what horror movies are based off of. It's so fucking creepy. Ugh. The police were called, and Mary was given a warning to get her act together. Fuck, this you mean warning... a warning? Yeah, I know, really. What do you mean? <laughs> but this warning wouldn't be enough to stop her next act. On Shame on you, Mary. Kill, don't kill people. That's stupid. <laughs> Naughty now, Mary. Get on out of here. I'll tie your shoes, too. What the hell are you talking about? <laughs> Cops, officers. Sorry, continue. I, just, I had to get it out. On May 25th, 1968, Mary and Norma lured four-year-old Martin Brown into a rundown abandoned house where Mary strangled the boy to death and they left his body there covered in blood and saliva. So this is her first confirmed kill. Yes, this is the first time she ever killed somebody. She's attacked a bunch of people before and obviously has... Found that she enjoys strangling and people. And nobody thought that would be a red flag. No, no, no. Nobody no. thought they should Escalation. put Mary in the nut house. <laughs> Give her a warning. Uh, she'll be all fine. Yeah. Martin's body was found at 3.30 that afternoon by a group of boys who were out looking for scraps and junk to sell. As they stared at the body in horror, Mary and Norma were walking up the street. The boys called them over to show them the awful sight, and the two did their best to act surprised. So they obviously had no idea why what? Mary and Norma were there. And, of course, because girl dumb, they d couldn't imagine that these two little girls had anything to do with yeah. well, I feel like what was going on. You wouldn't imagine that any, like, I don't know, I feel like... It's hard to imagine anybody killing somebody. I don't know. Yeah, that's Especially true. Like, just someone just like, you see on the street. Yeah. I was actually thinking about that the other day. I was like, I wonder how many times, like, thinking about the podcast and, like, how many people, like, cold cases and stuff go completely unsolved yeah. for years. Those people have lives. Oh, yeah. They go to the grocery store. Yeah. And just 
like regular normal people stuff. Like how many times do you think you're a you... local murderer buys salmon? Yeah, like <laughs> what do you how many times do you think you've just like stumbled across these people but just they're just living normal lives yeah. now? Yeah. And, and you have no idea. like completely cold cases where they're they like got away with it. Mm-hmm. They just got away with it and like they just go back to living life. Yeah. You know? And they're just okay with that. Yeah. I'm more impressed dumbass Mary didn't say some weird shit like, oh, that's crazy. We were just here with Martin a minute ago. Oh, don't worry. She did. Oh, is the follow-up even better? She did. Mary offered to go tell Martin's family and took immense pleasure out of telling his aunt about his death. When the police arrived at the scene, they didn't put the pieces together, though. There was no sign of an obvious struggle, but there was an open pill bottle next to Martin's body, so they assumed that he had accidentally swallowed a bunch and killed himself because he was only four. So he could have just been... Yeah, know, playing with them, put them in his mouth. in an abandoned building. Yeah, God exactly. Love it. 90s kids. Crazy. <laughs> because Mary was a young girl, she didn't have the strength to leave any marks on his neck, so there was no indication that he had been strangled. So she could cut off his airways, but it didn't leave any bruising or anything. Yeah. So it, it looked like he just died. They ah. didn't really know what happened to yeah. him. The police declared that the cause of death was open, and nobody really suspected any foul play. This decision outraged the community, but not really for the reason that you'd expect. People marched and protested in the streets over the condition of the abandoned houses in the city. They all seemed to think that this death was an accident spurred on by the dangerous conditions in the city. They so, were upset about the houses. <laughs> and I mean, it. to be fair, they didn't really know. And it was yeah. probably something that people were upset about to begin with because they did have their kids like going and playing in these abandoned houses and stuff. And Lord knows what's in there. Yeah. This was just kind of like the catalyst that got people all I feel riled like up. Also, just tell your kids not to go play in the abandoned buildings. Yeah. Like, God forbid you watch your four. This was a four year old kid. Yeah. Tell him to not go. Oh, in this the was building. way before supervision I was know, apparently a thing. because their family didn't say anything. They're like, oh, where was Martin before? All right, dead in the building. Pills. Grandma, you left your pills out again, didn't you? Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, you fucking, you fucking should be sorry, Grandma. Like, <laughs> idiots, dude. To also, be fair, there was no, there was no like line pointing to Miss Strangle three kids. Cigarette burn kids, like no, nothing. No, yeah, nothing. no. Sand kids. She's done like out of her four, like five. Like, six crimes that you mentioned before, I lost count, I don't really know, I just fucking made up a number. Like, 30% of them were not strangulation related. She choked (laughs) someone with sand, strangled three kids. Yeah. Yeah. And then cigarette burns, oh, that's the different one. You got to, not consistent enough. (laughs) Can't be her. No, they had no idea, like, what happened here. They're just like, ah, another one... Swallowing some pills and called her today. Yeah, and it's the that building. has to be it. And there the was there was nobody really even suspicious in the community either. Like nobody even really which had doesn't any make any sense. Like her. nobody thought that this girl could be a killer. They just thought she's a little wacky. Like what do you mean? Oh, uh, bullheaded Mary just choking people out for fights. You hate to see it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Mary. To be fair, without these secluded areas for Mary to bring her victims to, the deaths probably would have been avoided, but the real killer was still right under everyone's noses, and nobody seemed to give any any care about it. I'm going to put that flame out right now. Obviously, abandoned buildings weren't the issue, because she strangled kids in a daycare. She didn't <laughs> kill them, though. She couldn't. She was observed enough that people stopped her before she killed them. They went I know that she. What are you looking at? What are, are they playing over there? Oh, 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 yeah, they're playing over there. Yeah, is is Sarah supposed to be purple? Oh, I, did she have face paint on earlier? I think I think she has was Sarah a, always been purple. I she think she been. was playing as a beluga whale, so that that fits. That really <laughs> does. Whales aren't purple. I know, but it was a funny animal. Okay, 
I'm in character. Duh. Okay, I'm gotcha. stupid adult. Beluga whale. Per, I don't know. I was trying to come Perluga up with a pun between purple and beluga. If anything, the happening. better way to do it would be porpoise. I guess be so. Porpolis. Perpolis. No, that's Perpolis. stupid. That sounds like an English person's name. Hello, Perpolis. I'm Perpolis. Nice to meet you. I strangled kids. That has to be reason. another name from one of your kids. Is Perpolis? Yeah. Yeah. I'll call and only speak to him in a British accent. Yes. He can never or she don't want to don't want to assume. Uh, they can never be around the other kids because they're. They're only going to be in the high, like, attic or whatever. So British Royal Navy has to stay far away from Propolis. And uh, Bulbous is another one. Yeah. You also have Bulbous who lives in the basement chained up because he scares you. Right. <laughs> Good old psychotic Bulbous. He's the next Mary Bell. Yeah, <laughs> I'll train him right. <laughs> train him. Yeah, I'll make sure I get good no, windows. No, Bulbous is like the brickhead, like, <laughs> meat man. Yeah, yeah. I'll, make, I'll make sure I have high enough windows that he can survive, but it'll it'll get him right in the brainstem. It'll mess him up Poor real bulbous. good. Poor Bulbous. <laughs> Poor Bulbous. Oh. If this show isn't concrete proof that Ethan should never procreate, I don't know what is, because <laughs> first of all, the names you give these kids should be crimes on their own. I don't come up with the names. Y'all come up with the names and yeah, I just take inspiration. Yeah, but you say, oh, that should be a child's name. No. I think it'd be hilarious. Oh, who's going to mess with the kid named Bulbous who's got fucking pecks out the wazoo? Bulbous. Like, yeah, Bulbous knows two words, Bulbous and Hungry, and that's all he's going to know <laughs> for all of his entire life. And, uh, Perpolis is going to be British. Never communicate with anyone that's what not me. What about British Royal Navy? No, it's just a front. All right. I don't think he's going to be, they're going to be what British. What if British Royal Navy is like the the name of the, your pack of kids? Like oh. it's their, their group name. Like uh, instead of a flock of birds, you've got your British Royal Navy. I don't know another kid name though, because I know I had three kids picked out. Because British Royal Navy, and now I have Propolis. There's no other words except for... Well, that we mentioned. I want to keep them all in the no, family. No, you definitely have said many more. I'm absolutely sure I have if we go back and listen. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for days after Mary killed Martin, she kept going to his house and pestering his family, asking about him and wanting to see him. They kept turning her away, thinking that she might not have realized that he was dead. But after Martin's mom like told her straight up, you know... He's dead. You can't see him anymore. She goes, I know. I want to see him in his coffin. That's some fucked shit. So Martin's mother reasonably slammed the fucking door in her face and was so surprised that his child would say something like that. Like, yeah, that's crazy. So, what the fucked fuck up. is wrong that's with you? That's kind of crazy. It'd be different if you were at a funeral and you were like, oh, you know, I just want to see him one last time. Nah, Psychopath Mary was probably like, I want to see him in his coffin. I want to see him in his coffin. Can I breathe on it? Creepo. Fucking yeah. weirdo. The day after she killed Martin was Mary's 11th birthday, and at her party, Mary tried to keep her kill streak going, strangling Norma's younger alive. sister and almost getting away with it. Thankfully, Norma's father spotted Mary and ran over, saving his daughter, and gave Mary a good smack. But only, Ooh. only because he saw she was purple. <laughs> Nothing <laughs> else was told him a different sign. Blue is not enough. You gotta wait until gotta it's be purple. purple. Yeah. Dark purple, yeah, that's death. That's death's doorstep yeah, knocking exactly. on you. Blue, you could survive that. Easy. Mary seemed very upset about how Martin's death had played out, though. She loved having all this attention on her and was pretty mad when the death was ruled as an accident. And, like, I kind of understand this to agree. And not, again, not to justify anything that she's doing, but, like, when you're raised in a household that is really violent and there's and so abusive. much bad shit going on, the only, like, you don't get attention by being a good person in that situation. You don't get attention, like 
from your family, from your friends or whatever, by being like a normal good person. The only, only way get you get attention, attention by is, to, is to act up. Yeah. And so like that's what she's doing to get attention from people. She wants people to be like, oh, wow, that was Mary. But as we'll see later, she doesn't want to get in trouble for it. Well, she, no, why would you? Yeah, exactly. She is just a kid. She wants attention. And this is way her way of doing it. She figured... Oh, yeah, everybody's going to know that I killed Martin. Like, I literally went back there. I talked to his family about it all the time. Like, obviously, people are going to know that I killed She's Martin. She's giving all these adults around her a lot more credit than they deserve because yeah, really. she figured they'd all be smart enough to put two and two together. Not in Britain. But apparently not. No, no, <laughs> never. No, ma'am. Possibly as a little birthday present to herself, Mary took Norma to a local daycare where two of them broke in and vandalized the place and left four notes scribbled out talking about murdering Martin. They're a little hard to read, given who is writing them, but one of them said, I murder so that I may come back, and another, we did murder Martin Brown. Fuck off, you bastard. You bastard. I don't know who the bastard is. Come back? What does that mean? Yeah, I don't know. know. What are you, like a fucking spirit? I, Norma was the uh, Norma wrote the one that said I murder so that I may come back and apparently uh, Mary wrote the other three it so I mean just... the more aggressive one that said fuck you bastard yeah that, that was Mary <laughs> shocker shocker to no one <laughs> I kind of feel like we like murder so that we may come back or whatever she said like it kind of sounds like that like memento thing like how they how why people kill people so that and yeah. like take things so that they can keep like reliving that that's just kind of what it sounds like yeah, to me and, but and that's what mary and norma did all the time too is after mary would kill somebody they would go back and like look at the bodies and stuff that's what they were doing with martin's body they were just going back to like check it out again see yeah. what happened good thing they had a party this time though there were a couple more people yeah out. exactly they yeah. Had, old had some fun for some reason, the police dismissed these notes as a prank. So I think what we're learning from this is that the LAPD is not the worst police department in Adults the world. Adults in Britain are just dumb. Well, when your name's Constable, you fucking you already sell yourself short a little bit. I hate to say it. Sorry, UK, but like, come on. So they filed these notes just away at the station. Didn't even give them a second thought. Just, oh, trash can shredder. You know, why, why bother? Away. Obviously, their Murder plan. Murder confession notes. Nah, huck them in the back. <laughs> yeah, never. Those. never. Obviously, their plan didn't work the first time, so the girls went back and tried to break into the daycare again, but they set off the alarms that they had just installed so that nobody could break in again, (laughs) and they were found by the police. They absolutely denied being there before, and they were let off with a warning. I don't understand how many warnings. Warnings are supposed to be warnings. Yeah. You get, like, one or two. Yeah. Especially, like, you get a warning for, like, loitering on the corner when you're not supposed to be there. Not for attempted murder. Well, no, it's it's one warning per crime, you know? I attempted see. murder So this and is pranks. their first warning about breaking in. Yeah, but breaking and, and entering, that's their first warning. Not vandalism, just breaking and entering. Of and course. Then you got choking. So if they just spray painted like a car, then they get warned for that. It's like one little tally. You and know? also, like, Newcastle isn't just a small little town. Like, this isn't a little backcountry town with, like, two sheriffs that know everybody yeah. and, like, go to the bar after work. This is a big city. And it's a pretty small police department. Like, Britain was struggling with that a lot during this time, is that their police departments were just not big enough to handle the size of their growing cities. Yeah. And so they had so many bigger problems to worry about than two, like, teenage girls breaking into a daycare. They weren't like, even, like, teenagers. Yeah, I, mean, I think were, she, Mary was 11. Barely, yeah, Mary was like 11. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that, that so, would make sense. Like, they have more things to be concerned about than, than this. But yeah. At like, 
again, this is where Mary, if she really just wanted the attention, could have gone, oh yeah, we killed Martin Brown. We were the ones who broke in here before. But again, she doesn't, she doesn't actually want to get in trouble. No, as yeah. soon as she comes into contact with any law enforcement, immediately, like, the bad bitch attitude is gone. Oh, well, yeah, you don't want to get caught. Yeah. Yeah. Mary was getting pissed that nobody was recognizing what she had done, so she started getting even more blatant with telling people about the murder. In school, she drew a picture of Martin's body in the same position he was in when he died and wrote, on Saturday, I was in the house. But her teacher didn't seem to think it was all that important. Nah, toss it in the back with the confession. Why would <laughs> right it up be? there with the murder confession. Why would it be? Later that week, Mary attacked Norma while the two were playing by the daycare, kicking her in the eye and scratching her. Jesus. And when a boy walked by, Mary said, I am a murderer. That house over there, that's where I killed him. But the boy thought nothing of it either. Ah. If all these people would just, like, talk to each other, all these stories would corroborate. Oh, Mary. Apparently and they would be not. like, huh, maybe we should do something. Instead, this random teacher's random kid just sees something weird. And they're like, hmm. Oh, Mary. Oh, Damn, well. That's, that, that's kind of like um, the boy who cried wolf situation is that this is what Mary just said all the time. Yeah, she that's true. She was always violent and always saying these crazy things. And so you just get used to it after a little while. Yeah. I feel like that's not an excuse to not lock her up for choking people. Oh, yeah, totally. That's, that's a slip up. Mary was just beyond herself now. No matter how many times she straight up told people she killed Martin, nobody would listen to her. This is like a comedy skit. Yeah. <laughs> she decided that she needed to demonstrate her abilities once again to prove her point. Fucking idiot. On July 31st, 1968, Mary and Norma were out walking around town when they saw three-year-old Brian Howe. They convinced him to come to a little side street with them, claiming that there was a woman there giving away candy. Because the <laughs> oldest trick in the book. <laughs> when they walked down the street, there was no woman, just a large pile of cinder blocks, which is just about the opposite of candy, I, yep. I think. I mean, I guess your teeth are just weak there, son. <laughs> All right, fine. <laughs> Norma asked Brian if he had a sore throat. Then Mary grabbed his neck and started strangling him, which is just... The cruelest bait and switch ever. <laughs> That's pretty rough. That's hey, really... Brian, is your neck a little sore? Is your refrigerator oh, no, running? Fine. Well, it's gonna be. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's kind of, like, that's just rude. Like, just kill the kid. You ain't gotta put a fucking schedule about it. I keep thinking, it. too, like, he was only three. Yeah. Like, maybe I just don't have a good, like, perception of, ch like, children's development. But, like, three-year-olds are, like, babies. Yeah. How was he just walking around and they were asking him regular questions? Like, what? I don't know. I mean, I guess the way kids work, because, like... Maybe because, like, they're closer in age, they could, like, communicate with him better yeah. than, like, I like, could with a three-year-old. It's just, like, I'm keywords, older. like, trigger words, like, candy, like, shit that kids like. That's true. They're going to ignore everything else you say. They're going to be like, I'm going to kill you, but we're going to get candy first, okay? If you say candy. anything That's all they in hear. a nice voice... Love you instantly. Yeah. All you have to do is use that little baby voice, and then <laughs> instantly. If you talk to kids and like animals with a normal voice, there's something wrong with you. Yeah, like you have to. Come on. You gotta. Oh, da, 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 da. Exactly. Yeah. Mary pushed so hard that her fingers turned white, and soon Brian's whole face went blue, and his lips were purple. This is a very colorful episode. I know. Oh, Lots of colors. Oh, only his lips were purple. That's not. That's not noticeable <laughs> no, that's enough. Not that's not good to enough. To finish the job, Mary hit his head against the cinder blocks, breaking in part of his skull, and that'll do it right there. <laughs> yeah. Was he purple then? <laughs> he might have been. I feel like that takes 
take surname the strangler away a little bit because he didn't strangle the guy. You put him to death's doorstep and you slammed him. You should be the slammer now, you idiot. <laughs> now, now she should be in the slammer. Is yeah. what she should now be. the mos are all jumbled and they're never gonna know, Mary. These people need puzzles that are easy to solve. You yeah. got square hole and square peg. No other shapes. Nothing. <laughs> Just two options or two two things. One option. That's all these people need. <laughs> the girls went back to Norma's house where Mary grabbed a razor and a pair of scissors. They returned to Brian's body and mutilated him, cutting his hair, slashing his legs and stomach, cutting his genitals apart, and carving an M into his torso. Are you telling me that Norma's family, is it Nora or Norma? Norma. Norma's family let Mary back in the house after she strangled yeah. Norma's sister. Yeah. yeah. And Norma. Yeah. They just... Yeah. And then yes, sir. let her walk away with a razor blade and a pair of scissors. Yes, ma'am. Oh, Christ. <laughs> There's oh, so wrong with these people. Oh, jeez. A man and his daughter started walking down the street, so the girls hid the razor and the scissors under some blocks and ran away. Now, Brian's family started to get worried about where he was, since nobody could find him, until Mary told Brian's sister, Pat, to go look by the pile of blocks. Uh, she said that she had seen him playing down there, but Pat said, no way, he's never played over there. Oh, what if there was a lady with the candy there? What'd you say, Norma? <laughs> What'd you say, Mary? Oh, no, no, it was exactly that. I was like, you sure you don't want to go check out the cinder box? She's like, no, like, he doesn't hang out down there. Like, there's no reason for him to be there. And she's like, you sure? It, it was so creepy, just like that. So Pat didn't believe or didn't go check, but the Newcastle police found Brian's body right where Mary had suggested at 11 p.m. that night. The detectives at the scene noticed that the body was wounded in an almost playful way and started wondering if Marion's death had really been an accident after all. Bum, bum, bum. What? They began asking kids around the neighborhood if they knew anything or had seen Brian recently, and right away, Mary and Norma stood out as suspicious. During questioning, Mary was giggling the whole time, and she claimed that she had seen some other boy at the block pile with Brian, but that boy had been at the airport the whole day of Brian's murder, and so, like, there's no chance. She's just making shit up now. She also said something about scissors, like, that she didn't know anything about scissors or something, but that wasn't common knowledge. Yeah, she like, she, there was no reason she herself. should have known anything yeah. about oh, yeah, a pair you gotta, of scissors. Yeah, yeah. So on August 7th, Brian's funeral was held, and Mary was in attendance. Why wouldn't she be? And one of the detectives saw Mary laughing and rubbing her hands together during the funeral. What and a so, freaky little kid. Yes. What a fucking Looney Tunes ass response it is. Like, <laughs> fucking yeah. psychopath. And at that point, they decided to bring her in. Once in police custody, Mary and Norma both confessed quickly, but of course, in both of their stories, they were the innocent bystanders, and the other girl was the one that was the killer. Their trial for the murders of both boys lasted nine days, and while the court tried to keep things quiet to protect the girls, the press was all over trying to catch a glimpse of the killers. Norma ended up being acquitted of the charges, but Mary was held responsible and sentenced Good. to prison time at Her Majesty's pleasure. Basically, the, her sentence was indefinite until they could figure out what to do with an 11-year-old serial killer. Until the queen decides. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> at her queen's pleasure. Well, Just like, say yeah, you like, don't know. Just like... Be like, ah, yeah, yo, we'll figure it out. Yeah. Just like chill. Well, because, like, they have this 11 year old psychopath who has killed two people, but, like, do you, like. She's too, only 11. Like, you can't give them the death penalty. Like, they're too yeah. young for that. Like, they don't. Obviously, there's a lot of mental health issues going on. And so, like, insanity plea, that kind of thing. So, like, what do you do with this girl? Like, she's so young. Like, do you just put her in prison and call it that for, like, life sentence right there? Because that's what you would do for an adult. If you yeah. kill two people, you're getting in jail for the rest of your life. Yeah. But this is an 11-year-old girl. Like, she has a chance to 
be reformed and rejoin society and stuff. And so, you, like, what how, what sentence do, would you give an 11-year-old mass murderer? You Something know? besides a warning. Yeah, <laughs> a slap on the wrist seems a little insignificant now. So Mary Bell ended up serving 12 years in prison, and she was released when she was 23, which to me seems a little... Not, Not quite enough. long enough. <laughs> why she, oh, a little longer. Right, but. I was going to say, why well, wasn't she released when she was 18, but that doesn't always apply. Yeah. So she is currently a grandmother, and the identity of herself and her family has been protected by the court to allow her to live in relative peace. Yeah, apparently, like, I don't, it's hard to tell if, you know, she went on to live a normal life because her identity is being protected. Like, she's you know, completely anonymous, basically. So we don't really know if she's had any issues in her life or anything like that because it's completely, like, hush-hush. Well, like, the media has found her a couple of times, and, like, when they found her the first time, she had a daughter. And, like, her daughter didn't know anything about this. Like, her, like, she married just never told her about it. I mean, you want to bury that all when you get sane. Yeah, exactly. Like, how do you tell your daughter that you murdered two people? And so her daughter had no idea until the media started swarming them and she had to tell her that kind of thing. And so she's been found a couple of times, but each time she was able like to go back to the court and they would, you know, get her a new identity. Can we and... find her? No, we're not gonna find her. I just her. wanna hang I just wanna talk to her. I wanna be like, so what exactly was your deal? How many warnings does it take to make you stop? <laughs> How many warnings does it take to get to the center of a psychopath? <laughs> One, two, three. That's that's apparently the one. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we've got the axe-wielding maniac, David Brom. David Brom was born on October 3rd, 1971 in Cascade, Minnesota. His family was your typical run-of-the-mill, all-American family. In Minnesota. In Minnesota. That's cold. His right? father. It is chilly. It is cold. Yes. Very cold good. In Minnesota. I knew it. They're the hockey state, right, or some shit. Yeah, I think yes. they play hockey yeah. up there. Isn't that a song? The hockey state or no, Minnesota? No, no, like cold like Minnesota. Like, isn't that in a song? It's probably in a song somewhere. Yeah, it's got to be some country song. I bet. Absolutely. No, no, no. It's like a rap no? song, like a mumble oh, rap song. Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> cold like Minnesota. <laughs> no, that's not. I'll I'll try to look it up. I want to say it's called Minnesota, but I'm not positive. Anyway, moving All on. All right. His father Bernard was quite wealthy, and he and his wife Paulette were active members of their church community. I feel like that's how a lot of these bad stories start: is that people were really active in the church. I just feel like that's a common link in a lot of our stories: is that their parents loved going to church. I feel like that's kind of with any sort of lifestyle that you force on your kids. Yeah, that's true. Any like, year. Yeah, that's why like my dad swore off going to church he never wanted to do it ever again because he was forced to as a child and so now like he wanted nothing to do with it yeah. it's yeah. not that it's bad he just like when you try to push something like that on your kids like and yeah. be really really strict about it of course they're yeah. gonna any, hate like it. any forced lifestyle like making david go to church you know forcing mary to fall out windows that kind of stuff <laughs> usually doesn't end up too well making her yes. a prostitute at five <laughs> who would have thought that wasn't that a good lifestyle bad. to get into when you were young david had an older brother joe a younger sister named diane and a younger brother named rick Throughout his life, David had a very hard time getting along with his father. While his dad was just about as boring and uptight as any white Christian man could get, David didn't want to follow in his footsteps and live that kind of life. By the time he was in high school, David was a big-time outsider. He liked to listen to heavy music, spent a lot of time away from home, and had a small group of friends that he was very loyal to. Oh, he's a punk? He is a punk. A little rebel yeah, yeah. guy. Yeah, it's not like rock and roll kind of thing. It's more like underground punk music was his kind of Ooh, thing. Yeah. He liked to hit trash cans. And he did. Yes, yeah. Yeah, he did. 
Not surprisingly, his father Bernard was very disappointed in his son and hated the way he dressed, acted, and especially hated the music he listened to. When David turned 16, the arguments with his father only got worse, and he started acting out on purpose to make his father mad. I just imagine like him sitting in the garage or something, like turning up his boombox, and yeah. Bernard was like, David, turn that down. And David was like, you can't tell me what to do, Bernard. Shove off Bernie, I'm jamming out. <laughs> it's not a phase, Mom. Turn off that racket. <laughs> Like any edgy high school boy, David took his angst out on his hair, he dyed it jet black, shaved the sides off, and spiked up what was left of it. Mohawk. And in Bernard's eyes, his son was becoming the fucking Antichrist. Listen, I, I can relate to David, all right? I had some interesting Sean hair choices. Sean had an choices. emo boy high school I had school some interesting phase. hair choices back in high school. Let's take it easy on the man, all right? <laughs> <laughs> His new look caused all sorts of problems at home, and David was bringing all of his negative energy with him to school. His classmates and teachers all knew that something was wrong with David. They had all heard him say some messed up things, and he was certainly on the fringes of school society, but nobody ever said anything about it. I feel like for the most part, he kind of just kept to himself. Like, he was kind of dark, kind of edgy, a little scary maybe, yeah, like but he, he had, didn't bother anybody. He had his couple of friends, and he talked to them, but, like, he was just a quiet kid. Yeah. You know, he didn't really make any impact of any sort at all, really. Yeah. He was able to keep it in, unlike Mary, who went yeah. ballistic at 11. <laughs> Made it everybody's problem. Good old well, see, David's about to make it everybody's problem. Did Mary so. listen to music? Because that might have been where she went wrong. Music oh, no. wasn't invented yet. That That's where <laughs> it went wrong. That's where it went wrong. The British didn't listen to music. They just listened to tea, Boyle. Exactly. <laughs> David was severely depressed at this time as well, and he had tried committing suicide twice within the past few months, and his home life was only making things worse for him. Mental health, as we said earlier, was just not a thing in the 80s. Tough he just it up. sucked up whatever was happening, rubbed some dirt in it, move on with your life. And that's why all of our parents are totally happy and have perfect relationships. <laughs> Everything's turned out fine from that era, completely. Mm -hmm. <laughs> One day in February of 1988, David came home with a new cassette tape from the band Negative Land, which included the song titled Christianity is Stupid. I don't and even I'm, know what that song sounds like, but amen, brother. I'm sure you can imagine that Bernard absolutely loved that. That's so fucking stupid. It's almost like they wrote that just to piss off Bernard. Like that was specifically attack against him. That's that's all it was. What if it was actually Crimes called like Bernie? What if it was actually called like love everybody rock is for the soul and David just scribbled on fucking <laughs> Christianity stupid that'll show you Bernard <laughs> of course they got into a huge fight over this tape and David was fuming after this the next day at school he straight up told multiple people that he was going to kill his parents and this finally sparked some people to tell the police that something might be wrong Unfortunately, though, by the time that Sheriff Kevin Torgerson arrived at the Brom House on February 18, 1988, it was a little too late. The night before, David and Bernard had gotten into yet another fight, and David went off to his room pissed. He stayed up for hours, stewing about what to do, and at 3 a.m., he apparently got his answer. David went down to the basement, where he picked up an axe. He first went to his father's room, where he started hitting him with the axe, but Bernard somehow kept getting up. This man would not stay down for nobody. The power of Christ compels hit you. hit him again and again and again, like, and finally killed him, but it took so many times, like, so many times hitting him. The basement axe was dull. Yeah, probably. That's why I was in the basement, and he was sharpening, and he didn't get a chance to do it because he got caved in. And Bernard's skull was, like, completely destroyed from all the impact. Next, he went to his brother Rick's room, who was just nine years old. Ricky started screaming when he saw David, but David quickly hit him with the axe while Rick clung on to his blanket. 
By this point, his mother Paulette and his 14-year-old sister Diane were out in the hallway seeing what was going on. David ran over to them and killed both of them with the axe as well. For the next half an hour, David kept swinging the axe at the bodies and screaming the whole time, leaving all of them with dozens of wounds all over their heads and upper bodies. David threw the blood-covered axe into the basement, washed himself off, and got a new change of clothes before leaving his house for the last time. In the morning, David showed up to one of his friend's house, a girl named Anique, and told her what he had done. He convinced her to skip school with him, and they went to a local Kmart where David bought new clothes and a pair of hair clippers. Before dropping Anique back off at her house, David told her his plan was to sleep under a bridge that night and then head to Minneapolis, hoping to get lost in the crowds of the city. You know your life is going really well when your plan is to sleep under the bridge for a night. Yeah. And you're okay with it. Yeah. Yeah, that was just, you know, that was fine with him. Whatever it takes. <laughs> <laughs> However, the police were already on his case, as David didn't exactly leave a hard crime to solve. His entire family was dead, except for him and his older brother, but his older brother didn't live at home anymore. So the police thought that, like, oh, maybe David has been kidnapped or something. But that whole theory was right out the window. Once sightings had been made of him, they received multiple calls about David threatening to kill his parents, and his fingerprints were all over the fucking axe. Oh, of course, yeah. David was hunted down very quickly and was found the next day using a payphone at a local post office. Oh, the bridge didn't work. Nah, no, bridge, it didn't work out. Bridge didn't pan out for him. David was originally to be tried in juvenile court since he was 16 at the time, but the judge decided that the severity of the crimes warranted him being tried as an adult. Yeah. Although he pled insanity during the case, and he had a decent case for being completely insane, insane David was found guilty of three counts of first-degree murder and sentenced to three life sentences. Wait, wasn't it... There four? were four murders, but it was only three counts of first-degree murder. I don't know. Rick was nine. He didn't count. That's, that one makes me so sad. That like, one is sad. He, they said they found his body, like, curled up in the fetal position, like, clinging onto his blanket. Yeah, that's not Aww. great. I know. That's so sad. Maybe everyone hated Bernie, and that's why he didn't count. I just don't understand why he had to kill his siblings. Like, kill your parents. Like, they're, obviously, they're he you was down, taking but... it out on his dad. And yeah. I, he must have just broken, honestly. That must have been what happened. Yeah. Like, the fact that he stayed there for a half an hour hacking away at their bodies and like screaming at the top of his lungs. Yeah, like something snapped. You also think right that someone will probably hear that. Like yeah. a neighbor. Oh, David's just screaming again, that little psycho. Angsty Dave. That's what we <laughs> call him. Dave. There it is. Angsty Dave. All right, we're going to move on to our last story of the day where we've got two young girls who. Uh, Maybe uh, should have taken a break from each other every once in a while. <laughs> Two young girls being psychopaths. Dude, young, <laughs> young girls are not Young kids, girls are bro. terrifying. They sure are. Bro, Middle school girls are like the worst. The worst that humanity has to offer. They're fucking evil, dude. They're mean for no reason. <laughs> They'll torch you up just for like existing. All right, we'll be back in one second. Our final story revolves around two young girls that were so attached to each other that they resorted to murder in order to stay together. What? The That's first crazy. girl, Pauline Parker, was born on May 26, 1938, in the town of Christchurch, New Zealand. Her family was working class, nothing special really, just living normal lives. I don't know, her name was Pee Pee. That's pretty special. <laughs> her name was Pee Pee. Yeah. Pauline Parker? What's up, Pee Pee? <laughs> 
at age five, PP was diagnosed. <laughs> I don't remember how to say this word. How do you say this word? Oh no. Um, Osteomyelitis. Osteoporosis. No, I think I it's wish osteomyelitis. It was. Osteomyelitis. Or myelitis or something. At age five, PP was diagnosed with osteomyelitis, which is a disease that causes crippling bone marrow infections. That's not PP. That's not funny. That's not no. very PP. <laughs> That's not very PP of you. Bone infections and PP. <laughs> Yeah, there shouldn't be any bones down there. That was your problem. <laughs> the disease was completely debilitating for the it. young girl, and she spent months on end in the hospital, laying in bed while everyone else grew up around her. Oh, Pee Pee. She's a little sad. Oh, Pee Pee. <laughs> oh, Pee Pee. Over the years, she underwent multiple surgeries, but the condition never fully went away, causing her pain and limiting her movements for the rest of her life. Thankfully, though, she found a friend at her school. Isn't that nice? That's good. It was at Christchurch Girls High School that Pauline met a girl named Juliet Holm, and this one friendship triggered a series of events that would end up in murder. Murder. I hate when that happens. <laughs> You're on your... One thing leads to another, and then you just murder. I feel like our friendship is gonna end up in a series of events that causes a murder <laughs> one yeah. day, to It's be probably gonna be honest. accident, though. More oh, like yeah, man's sure. laughter instead of murder. Yeah. Man's laughter, of course. <laughs> now, Juliet's life was nearly the complete opposite of Pauline's. While Pauline was from a normal working-class family, Juliet came from a very wealthy family. Her and her bones were fine. Yeah, she, she drank had, milk every she day. Had good bones. Her father was a successful physicist and made the family plenty of money. She was born in England, but was diagnosed with tuberculosis. So her Ooh. bones were fine, but her, her lungs, lungs were shit. Were sucked, dude. They oh, were terrible. Dude. And her family decided to send her to South Africa, hoping that the warmer climate would help her get better. Much like Pauline, what? I feel like it's a drastic choice to make. Well, at that time, South Africa was a British colony. Oh, so right. It was somewhere they could send her and, yeah. you know, still be in Britain, kind of. I just thought it was know, just... they're it, racist. <laughs> oh, you're... Oh, damn. You got tuberculosis? Get the fuck out of Dodge. You need to go to South Africa <laughs> right this is South Africa would give with me you. tuberculosis, too, if it was just... Isn't it just, like, shitty and rainy there all yeah, the time constantly. and stuff? And the bubonic plague. Wait, where are we in? England. Like, okay, yeah, that was right. Yeah, the, yeah. yeah. This is like the 1900s. Though. I know the bubonic plague still existed in England at some point, right? Yeah. Yeah, so it carries over. Okay. <laughs> you think rats fucking just forgot about the Black Plague? Nah. <laughs> it's just they're sleeping on it right now. Yeah, shit, like, that's oh, just family. You think rats adapted to the bubonic plague? And they're like super rats. Probably that, like, they're better than we are. They just like spit acid. <laughs> Much like Pauline, Juliet's condition stunned her social development, and the two of them bonded over their life-threatening ailments. When she was 13, Juliet's father, Henry, had been appointed to rector at the University of Canterbury in New Zealand. Oh, I know about that guy. Mm -hmm. He was promoted to rectum. The Archbishop of Canterbury. Yeah. The Archbishop Rectum of Canterbury. <laughs> and the family moved to Christchurch for his job. After meeting, the two girls became extremely attached to one another, spending their time near exclusively with each other and further isolating themselves from any outside social contact. Together, Julia and Pauline crafted their own fantasy world, taking the names Gina and Deborah in order to separate their real lives from their fantasy one, which is... Really, Deborah is the best you could come yeah, up with? Yeah, that was your fantasy, fantasy name? name? Come on, they're LARPing. I feel Go like most people's fantasy names are like, I don't know... Flora, yeah, and like something no, that's badass. Like, that's like in the office when Dwight is like talking about his fantasy life, and like he would be uh, the assistant manager at like Satan's Hotel or something like that. <laughs> and it's like you haven't even heard my salary yet, sixty 
thousand dollars a year. Like that's your fantasy. Deborah is your fantasy yeah. name, really. Oh, Deborah. <laughs> This wasn't just some imaginary friend-level thing, either. Their world had its own language. They discussed new ideas about religion and death. They rejected God and worshipped their own saints. And they said that they would escape here in moments of spiritual enlightenment. Bro, how old are these kids? Oh, they were young. They were like teenagers. Yeah. Bro, I liked Pokemon and, like, Power Rangers when I was like, oh, in high school. No, yeah, I wasn't really thinking about that. No, they were probably much. like 12 or 13 around this time. They were? Yeah. Oh, maybe. Yeah, yeah you were just getting younger. out of there. Well, I guess this happens when you make your own fantasy world. You can be, uh... Yeah, Deborah's got you some wild thoughts. You can be as mature as you want. <laughs> Hi, they really gave again? themselves, like, grown-ass woman names. Yeah. yeah. Gina. Gina and Deborah. Gina. Gina. What is it, Deborah? <laughs> you yeah. think God exists? No, Gina. <laughs> oh, I, th I was thinking more like wine soccer moms. But we could go smokers instead. We could, we could go trailer park smokers instead. So they oh, call God. this place the fourth world. I don't know what one through three is, but apparently this is number four. The fourth, right? yes. And after some time, it was clear that the girls had a hard time coming back to reality. No. The girls wrote full plays in books about events that happened in the fourth world. What are they making, Skyrim? Apparently. I guess so. Geez. And their I'm parents, obsessed. they were getting a little concerned. Rightfully so. Their friendship didn't just exist in school either. Pauline and Juliet went absolutely everywhere together. Yeah. And Pauline would even go with, her fa go with Juliet's family on vacations over the summer. When the girls were apart, they both reportedly would feel sick as soon as they were separated and only felt better once they were allowed to be together again, Aww. which, oh my god. This is literally like fault in our stars. That's cute. Yeah. No, like, they're homies. No, I mean, they are, but this is a They're little like a bonded pair. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, well, I mean, I guess when one's got a weak body and the other one's got weak organs, you might as well super, su yeah, you got, super summon together into one. Together they have almost one healthy body. Yeah, yeah. almost. <laughs> Apparently their minds out the window though, gone forever. It was clear that this relationship was getting to be extremely codependent and unhealthy, so their parents took the girls to see a doctor who told the parents that they might be having a homosexual relationship. <laughs> oh God! Which, oh my God, this is the worst thing you could possibly imagine. Are you kidding me? What a leap though. Can you imagine <laughs> me like, yeah, they get really like sad when they're apart. Gay, they're gay. They're gay. They gotta be gay. Kill Lesbians. them. Lesbians. Kill them. Into, which, are you sure? Like, just they're it could gay. be like. Aren't you like a doctor? No, I just walked in the door. They're gay. My Kill them. gaydar is <laughs> off the charts. This thermometer. Ring -a -ding -ding this thermometer tests gay, and it's broken, <laughs> gone, cracked. Now, Pauline and Juliet entirely denied that there was ever any sexual relationship they were like between 12. them. Yeah, they were talking about death and religion. What the fuck? Like they were probably there just... were more concerning things than being gay that they were doing. They were probably just fucking smoking pot and chilling in a treehouse. Like fucking relax. They're yeah. fine, honestly. But that didn't stop their parents from being totally freaked out. It was around this time that Juliet came down with tuberculosis again, and so her parents were like, thank God, we can like get her to a hospital and get her away from Pauline for a little thank while. Thank God this vision can go back to South Africa. They literally saw it as a blessing, like finally we're going to get them separated for a little while. Pauline was distraught while Juliet was in the hospital, but as soon as she returned, the girls were as close as ever. They were strengthened by being forced apart. And this is, again... If you were a parent and you disapprove of something, don't try to stop it so hard because that's only going to make the kids want to do that thing more. Yeah. Uh, yeah also, that... who were they hurting? 
Nobody. Who Absolutely are they nobody. But it's not like they're out killing people because their world is telling them to do crazy things. Like, well, not yet. They only start to have an issue after their parents start denying them from just doing what makes them happy. Yeah, exactly. Then again, that could be. You know, there, there, there are lines between things. Like if they were bumping cocaine, because oh, that's P-P a problem. Was a psychopath. <laughs> And that's why they were so sad, because poor uh, Juliet now has a coke addiction. Like, th- th- you should separate them. That's, that's yeah, different. Yeah, that's understandable. But, like, if they're just hanging out, like, you took this girl on vacation with you. Did you see them do anything weird? Well, yeah. These anything- are literally, like, their childhoods were ripped away from them, and this is the only semblance of, like, a normal friendship and, like, being a kid that they have. Neither of them knew how to be normal kids. Like, Pauline was laying in a hospital for most of her childhood. Juliet was torn away from her family and like tossed into a foreign country where she just had to learn how to breathe better like not to mention they both probably have like super active imaginations because they spent their entire entire childhoods by themselves yeah and like and then you wonder why they have this huge fantasy world together it's not like they can be active outside running around because pauline's bones don't work and juliet's lungs can't handle themselves and so what else do they have to do all they can do is sit inside and imagine a better world for themselves i also like how they just sit in south africa thinking like yeah that make it better, and then they just brought her ass back. Yeah, they're like, oh, that worked. Oh, ah, cool. yeah, she's good. Tuberculosis she's is fine. afraid. That that's okay. It won't come back here anymore. It's like, what do you mean? However, their world was about to come crashing down as a scandal rocked Juliet's home. It was discovered that Juliet's mother was having an affair, and her father decided to get a divorce. As part of the divorce, Juliet would be going with her father back to England, leaving her mother and more importantly Pauline behind, which I don't quite understand because. Isn't her dad the one that has the job in New Zealand? Yeah, but it sounded like he just wanted to leave. Yeah. So, you know, whatever. I don't know. You just think that whoever would be leaving, it would be the mom. Yeah, but... But they're probably just trying to get him apart yeah. again. I mean, end of the day, Julia is about to leave for good. Yeah. Yeah. The girls desperately begged for Pauline to be able to go with Juliet, but Pauline's mom gave a very definite no. After this rejection, Pauline and Juliet planned a way to stay together to get around their parents by killing them. They first planned to kill Pauline's mom, the one who first said no to them. On June 2, 1954, the girls were out for the day with Pauline's mother, Honora, at Victoria Park. They stopped for lunch in a small tea shop and then got up and went for a walk through a small forested area. About 400 feet down the path, Pauline and Juliet grabbed their murder weapon, half a brick inside a tall sock, and started beating Honora with it. <laughs> That's not funny, but it's funny. Also, it's just, wait, I just, like, I was kind of up with them, and I, I kind of wish, as weird as it sounds, I kind of wish there was a better reason to murder. Yeah. Like, the, yeah. the reasoning was literally just, oh, I can't go live with you in another country. My mom's making me, you know stay with my actual family in this country. That's a that's I have to go I don't understand now. why that's they're a reasonable upset, decision. But I don't understand how it justifies murder. Now, if like, that makes sense. If Pauline would like go to New Zealand like or you know like if they were like moving somewhere and like Pauline wanted to go visit them or whatever at some point like and their mom said no I'd be like okay that's a little but this is just like if if I said to my mom Hey, uh, Sean's going to California. Can I go? She'd smack the shit. You're like, what the hell do you mean? Like, no, you can't go. Like, when we were kids, it'd be like, yeah. no, like, you're going to stay with us. Like, 
Yeah. It, they're not doing it to not be spiteful. Not even just to go on vacation. To go and live there. They're doing it to be, like, they're not doing it to be spiteful. They're doing it as parents who are like, I want to protect you. I can't protect you in another country. Like, I just, like, that's rough. Like, yeah. That's... yeah. And, like, these girls had their, they had a whole dream life together. Like, they're plan was when they got older they were going to move to america together and be like hollywood actresses and so they saw this as literally their future being torn away from each other and yeah. so like they decided that they had to do something drastic which again doesn't have to be murder but to yeah them it was that's... that was that to them that was the only way that they could be together yeah they crushed honor's skull in and killed her pretty quickly covering themselves with blood in the process the two of them threw the brick into the woods and ran back to the tea shop where they told the owners that Pauline's mom had fallen and hit her head. Not the sock. They just kept the sock on them. They just took the brick out of the sock and threw it. Yep. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> After seeing all the wounds all over Adora's body and the girls covered in blood, the tea shop owners knew that something was up. She did not just slip and fall. Yeah. The police found the murder weapon pretty quickly and soon the girls were questioned and crumbled and admitted to the whole thing. Juliet and Pauline were both found guilty of the murder, but since they were only 16, they served a reduced sentence, only five years in prison. After being released, Juliet joined her father in Italy, and she has since become a well-known author under the name Anne Perry. Pauline had a bit of a harder time, and she was tracked down by the media after her release, even after being given a new identity, and it took her years to fully realize what she had done. Now she lives in England, where she helps teach horse riding to young girls. Aww. And, like, Pauline's story was kind of sad, because she has never spoken directly to the media. It was, like, her sister that would, like, contact the media yeah. for her. And, like, it... It reportedly took years for her to fully process that, like, she had murdered her mom. Yeah, like... Like, that didn't even click in her head until years after she had, like, been released from prison and everything. Yeah, which that's is crazy. so terrible. Yeah, that wasn't just, but... like, a random lady. That was her mother. They yeah. should have capped Juliet's mom for being a skank. That would have been acceptable. <laughs> that, honestly, that was the real problem of Juliet's yeah. mom. We're just keeping it in her pants. We wouldn't be in this situation. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna... No. Come on, use your... Yes, the woman who said, no, you can't move to another country. You're my daughter that's that's the issue right there but that is it is good to see that they've turned their lives around yeah that is good do they like still like know each other like do they contact I, each other? i don't i don't know there's not there's not much information on either of them because again like their They're, like, identities are being supposed to be hidden and stuff yeah. like that so yeah all right that's all we have for you this week thank you for listening everybody if you're listening on apple Podcasts, i noticed this the other day that we had a couple of reviews left on there so that's pretty cool oh nice so if you're on like uh -oh. apple Podcasts or iHeartRadio, something that lets you leave like a review like give us a little five-star review make us feel happy on what were the side. reviews can we put them on blast here no there weren't any like written it was just like the like the five stars like five out of five stars. are we five stars yeah we baby. got five stars baby. Yeah. yo whoever gave us five stars i'll like lick your feet or something for yeah, being, will. For being <laughs> a homie absolutely i will also go follow us on instagram at rule three 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 and on facebook at rule three podcast and have a great week everybody goodbye bye bye, bye.